Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 717 of the Juicebox Podcast. 717. Today's guest is an adult who lives with type 1 diabetes named Miriam, and she's here today to talk about a number of things including her pregnancy. While you're listening, please remember that nothing you hear on the Juicebox podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. If you have type 1 diabetes and are from the United States or are the caregiver of someone with type 1, you can go to t1dexchange.org forward slash juicebox. Spend just a few minutes answering simple questions about type 1 diabetes. When you do this, you'll be helping people living with type 1 and supporting the podcast. t1dexchange.org forward slash juicebox. Are you looking for the Diabetes Pro Tip series or the other series within the podcast? Head to the Facebook group, Juicebox Podcast Type 1 Diabetes. Look in the feature tab. There are lists of all of the series right there. They'll help you get started. This episode of the Juicebox Podcast is sponsored by Dexcom, makers of the Dexcom G6 Continuous Glucose Monitor. Learn more and get started today at Dexcom.com forward slash juicebox. The podcast is also sponsored today by InPen from Medtronic Diabetes. There's a great explanation of the InPen at InPenToday.com. There are links in the show notes of the podcast player you're listening in right now and links at JuiceBoxPodcast.com to these and all the sponsors. Well, my name is Miriam, and so I'm uh, living with type 1 diabetes for over 20 years, and I'm from Canada. I'm in the area of Montreal. And I am interested in sharing a bit of my story and how um, I've gone in through different life stages, specifically uh, my little story uh, with uh, giving birth to my daughter. That sounds good. Um, are you from Canada originally? Yes. So I grew up mostly in uh, the Quebec area and I've traveled a bit in and out of Canada, but mostly um, around Montreal area all of my life. Okay, cool. Uh, did we say how old you were or are we not doing that? I'm in my 20s. Okay, that's so fair. I'm officially not young anymore. <laughs> you think in your 20s makes you not young anymore? I passed 25, so oh, oh, that's why. No, no, Miriam. I would, um, I'd murder a stranger to be in my 20s again. What do you think of that? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Who did nothing wrong. <laughs> uh, I hope not. I mean, I, every stage is good, and I try to appreciate every stage. Yes. Um, but it does kind of shock you once the years go by faster than you can count. Yeah. No, no, I understand. And I probably would not actually, like, you know, in my fanciful idea, take another person's life so I could be younger. I mean, I don't think... It probably wouldn't work. <laughs> well, let me just say, in a, let's say we were in a magical situation where this happened. I'm pretty sure I wouldn't do it. There you I go. I think that's as you would hope not. That's as honest of an answer <laughs> as I can give right now. What do you think of that? I, I've never hurt anything in my entire life, but my back and my knee are stiff, and you know, I I'm on the back nine already. I know people don't think of it that way. May may I digress fourteen seconds into your podcast episode for a second? 
I was saying to someone the other day that I, um, and this is because I'm now, my mom is 79, right? And I'm watching her have like a, mm-hmm. like a health issue. And I told my wife in a really, I, I am assuming was a serious moment, but I'm not sure if she thought I was being comical, but I, I definitely was not. I'm 50 years old. And I told her, I am going to start living like I only have 15 years left to live. Mm-hmm. And I was like, and it doesn't matter to me if I live past the 15 years, I'm going to treat these 15 years as good, actionable quality time. Like I'm now I'm just going to do that. And because I don't want to get to the mm. point where I'm older and I'm like, Oh, we finally did it. We saved up money and we retired and I'm all ready. And then suddenly something catastrophic happens. And what am I going to do then? My money's mm. not going to save me that I save. Right. So I totally get that. I yeah. mean, I, I think we have a tendency to always want to save up for, you know, retirement or save up for later, you know, we'll travel later, but um, that's kind of, my philosophy too is just you know enjoy do the most that you can right now and it doesn't mean not saving up for the future but it does mean um you know really living life to the fullest also in the present because you don't know like the future is not guaranteed so you don't know how much time you'll have or what you'll be able to do with it or if you'll be healthy down the road so yeah i think it's really important to uh to do the best that you can now and really enjoy life right and it's not like i didn't understand that all academically um, but mm. I don't know, it just made more sense when suddenly I, I saw my mom, like my mom's older. She's not like in the, even the prime of her retirement, but she was getting mm. ready to make a move. She was going to move somewhere. She was going to travel a little bit, land somewhere else. And then all of a sudden, like none of that is possible. So mm. I'm like, all right, I am not, I'm not going to have that happen. So I'm going to save like I'm saving, but you know, I'm going to try to make a little more time for myself here. At the same time, and this I think is interesting, This the podcast is a, is a business on top of a, a you know, a, something I just enjoy. And it mm-hmm. is as strong as it's ever been right now. Like, I can't just, I can't set it down and say to myself, like, oh, it'll be here when I get back. So I'm going to have to do some pretty strategic planning around how I take time off. But I think it's going to be worth it. So that's what I'm going to do. That's a really it. good plan, though. That has nothing to do with you, with, though. <laughs> as they say, work is always always going to be there somehow, you know, in some form. And yes, I mean, there. It always seems like we have the, the perfect opportunity right now, but sometimes we we still need to be able to take time for ourselves and yeah. take time off. I am going to try to do that. We'll see if I. We'll see how successful I am, um, <sighs> or if I'm just like next time this year. I'm talking to someone else, and I was like, I go, you know, last year I told this lady from Montreal that. <laughs> <laughs> and then I never did it. Um, but okay, so how old were you when you were diagnosed? I was almost two years old. Okay. Yes. Wow. That's how old Still Arden was. a baby. Yeah, that's how old Arden was. Oh, wow. Do you have any yeah. other autoimmune issues? No, that uh, I am very grateful for um, because that I don't have any complications and I don't have any other um, health issues, actually. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, that's excellent. I think that's enough. <laughs> that's enough. Now, are you uh, what they call coupled, married? Are you with another person? Yes, yes. I'm married. Children? Yes. I, yes so that's, uh, we have one daughter one together. Daughter. Oh, congratulations. It can't, the baby cannot be that old because you're young and you're calling yourself old. So <laughs> No, no. Our baby is a year and a half. Yeah. So. All right. I, unless I was thinking maybe, you know, baby's four and you were calling her like a teenager already because <laughs> you really did overestimate your own age. 
I like you're like you basically were like I'm on my way out, Scott. I'm in my twenties. No, 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 not that bad. Not that bad. <laughs> it just hit because my birthday was not so long ago, so that's why. <laughs> stuck in your head a little bit, didn't it? What's that? It sticks in your head a little, like the passage of time. It exactly. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. It does it's happen. More like it. But no, our daughter is young. I, oh. I admit that. <laughs> I admit that. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations. Uh, that That's lovely. Um, any concerns about when you thought to make a family? Any concerns about diabetes being, you know, with your daughter at some point? Yes. I mean, it was one of our worries. I mean, I don't think we focused on it a whole lot because of the fact that I was, um, like, I was healthy and I didn't have any complications related to diabetes. And I was, um, as far as, like, my doctors were concerned, they were saying that I was doing a very good job um, managing my diabetes. Uh, So we weren't overly concerned about it Um, as far as her um, uh, developing diabetes. I think it came a bit later once she was born and all that. I think the concern was more of like how my diabetes could affect her during pregnancy. Um, And the doctors made sure to remind us a whole lot of times um, about the concerns that might be related to, you know, having um, or carrying a baby while having diabetes. I believe I know the answer to this question, but just so I'm certain, do you live in a part of Canada where they manage type one like it's 2021 or they manage it like it's 1978? Um, It's hard to say because I haven't compared it with like other areas, but I would definitely say that it's 1970s more than 2020. Um, As far as like being updated um, or up to date on like literature and like the possibilities and all that, it's definitely a bit outdated. um, What about insulin and technology? What kind of insulin are you using? Um, I'm using Humalog. I've always used Humalog. Well, kind of just switched because now it's become a generic. So um, Admalog, I think it's called now. Okay. Uh, so it's still the same thing. Um, and I'm on an insulin pump for, I've been on now for, I guess, about 13, 14 years. Okay. All right. So you've been pumping for a really long time. Yes. Yeah, there are just yes. places in Canada that'll give you like regular and MPH and give you a sliding scale and be like, there you go. Good luck. So. Yeah, no, no, it's not that bad. I mean, I did have a good opportunity too because I ended up being on the um, insulin pump program in Quebec. Um, so right when it started out back in like the two th- early, mid-2000s. Okay. What kind of pump um, did yeah. you get back then? I was first on the Animus, the if ping. I remember correctly. Is it the ping? Yes. yes. Yeah. And not even the ping. I think I started before the ping. Oh, before um, that even. Wow, look at that. <laughs> Look at you. And now and I kind of progressed through all the developments of the pumps now. How many how many different ones do you think you've had? Um uh, well if I if I really didn't start on the ping, I believe I didn't. So I that would be four because I, I went to the ping afterwards and then I switched to Medtronic and then I switched to Tandem. And now I'm currently on Tandem. Are you using the control IQ? Yes, I am. How do yes. you find that to be? Um you know, when I was pregnant, I was using the basal IQ because the control IQ wasn't out in Canada yet. And um, I thought it was really neat for the low blood sugars, you know, preventing low blood sugars and stuff. Um, control IQ is interesting uh, for someone that's always been like super uh, detailed and super like control oriented as far as 
like managing my range of uh, blood sugars, I think it's a little, I have to do a lot of letting go <laughs> because it does keep me a little bit higher than I would like. Um, but the numbers are good as far as like uh, A1C levels and stuff. So the, my endocrinologist thinks it's really great. Mm. And I mean, it is great in the sense that I have less um, hands-on work to do. Uh, but it does give you give me more like high blood sugars than I would like. How would you describe your eating style? What do you, what's uh, in the mix during the week? Um, so I am a vegetarian. Uh, so I do pay attention a lot to what I eat and I um, I try to do a lot of whole grains and fruits and vegetables and beans and all that. Um, I do try to um, mix it up a bit. Uh, I do find that my breakfasts are very, I try to keep it very similar from one day to the other because I get a little bit of the dawn phenomenon in the morning. Um, so that is a bit of a, I try to keep it as simple as possible in the morning so that I prevent as much as possible the dawn phenomenon. Uh, so that's a lot of oatmeal, <laughs> very lots of oatmeals in this home. Um, and then lunch and dinner are more varied, and I try to, to change it up with different grains like quinoa, rice, and all that, and mix it up with different uh, types of veggies and all that. Okay. So I, I, I want to I delve into this for a second. First thing, sure. and this is just a small aside, when you said you're a vegetarian, the thought that ran through my head was, oh, wow, they can grow vegetables in Canada? <laughs> oh, <no>. <laughs> <laughs> which I, I i quickly dismissed that thought but it was the first thought i was like wow yeah. how do they get through the ice to plant the seeds um it's not icy all year long we're not in the great north <laughs> <laughs> i listen you understand that academically i know that right but it's, just, mm -hmm. it's still just the way it occurred to me uh, like i'm a child i know and i mean we are talking right in, in the winter so it does add to that feeling of like it's icy and cold but Pardon? we do get summer um we do have summer uh i mean we plant like in june and we pick like we pick the vegetables in late june <laughs> no, <I'm kidding>. <laughs> <laughs> no by the end of like september we have to pretty much pick up everything except for like squashes and stuff i, so I, I mean it's a short season yeah all right well still uh <laughs> 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 and so you said that you've always had kind of like you know kind of a tight control over everything so i want to know a little bit about mm -hmm. i mean obviously if you're diagnosed when you're two you're not doing anything when did you right. start getting involved in your management and when were you completely in charge of it oh that's a good question i mean i would say like probably conscious uh, that like conscious involvement or like sharing into like the decisions of what I'm going to eat and all that. I feel like it was pretty young, like around 10 ish that I remember um, sharing like, okay, this is what I'm planning to eat so that my, I could help my parents uh, with the, the insulin decisions and all that. Um, but then I got involved pretty much when I started being on the pump, which is around like 13, 14 uh, years of age. And that's where I started, like, it started making more sense to me um, if I don't, and I was growing up as well. And it, it was a lot more information, especially because I was on the pump program, um, which to make it simple was like when the, the, the um, Quebec government was deciding whether they wanted to cover the cost of the pump for children or not. Mm -hmm. um, so it was the first like 
free pumps in Quebec, uh, which is what I was on. So that meant a lot of work because it was like meals. You had to write down everything. You had to like write down to the side all the basal plans uh, and all the yes, all the details for the pump. And so that meant a lot more work. So I think I kind of got involved <laughs> because it was a bit too much for my parents, but it also helped me to, to get more uh, hands-on experience. And then I, I think I became more autonomous probably by the end of adolescence, I think, yeah, like end of teen years, that I was more on my own and I was more like out and about as well. So it kind of required me to be more right. uh, independent. Yeah, so I think it just kind of came gradually and just transitioned as far as also be, with the pump, it was easier, less intrusive for me. Um, so that also helped with being more independent as well. So that's interesting. Um, I'm, I'm certainly not about to like ask you to badmouth your parents because I don't think that that exists here. But are you saying that you looked up at your parents and you're like, uh-oh, these two are not going to get this. Like, I'm going to have to get it. Did you have that like conscious feeling? Not so much. I mean, I I actually kind of looked up to my um, both of my parents. Um, I think it kind of transitioned because my mom was really in charge of my uh, well insulin and handling the whole process. I mean, both parents were really hands on, but my uh, when I was really young or younger, my mom was more in charge of like giving me the uh, insulin shots and all that. Mm -hmm. And then when I switched to the pump, um, then my dad took on more of a responsibility. My mom kind of backed up a bit because it was a lot of technology and a lot of details, which my mom was maybe a little less comfortable with. Um, So it kind of transitioned already. Um, I don't remember feeling like they weren't capable. I think it was just more of like, I I can't communicate like all of my decisions to them. You know, at some point it kind of seemed like redundant, uh, like of sitting down and just re-talking about it and all that. And so it just became um, more simple to just do it myself. And I mean, it made more sense. So it kind of, I think it was part of my just teen years of wanting to take control also of my diabetes. Um, But I don't remember... um, thinking that they couldn't do it. I mean, I still talk to, to my to my parents about my like how it's going, and I still talk about like technology uh, advancements with my dad specifically because he's always um, still interested in like looking up at what's um, like newest and most cool. Which is probably why I'm also I've also graduated like from one pump to the other at some level because of. Um, also his uh, interest in like technology advancements and all that. That's really interesting. So you and your father still talk about diabetes? Yeah, we do. Even with my mom, it's just not like the technology is not as much of her forte. Mm-hmm. But um, especially with my dad, I, I I forget what was the newest thing. But like when the control IQ came out, I, I talked to him about it. I was like, hey, check this out. It's coming in Canada. And now there's an app that's supposed to come out soon. But of course, it always comes out in the US first. So we have to be patient. Uh, but yes, and so I'll chat with him about it. And I'll be like, hey, what do you think? You know, you think it could, you know, be a plus. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's for really my cool. management. It, does he seem, does it seem like it passed him by already, just these advancements, or does he keep up with the idea when you're talking to him about it? He actually tries to keep up with it, yeah, and he'll read up on it a bit and, you know, find information or 
posts about um, like there are different blogs that talk about the diabetes advancements and stuff. So he'll actually keep up. I think he's been uh, he's really keeping up with it up to now. Anyways, um, he's doing a really good job, and I think it fascinates him to to see like how much things have improved and have gotten so uh, much better in just a short period of time. And so it, it kind of makes him happy to, to, uh, to see that I can get on these new technologies and use these new technologies as well. How does it make you feel that he cares about it in a way that, that causes him to, to keep up with something that, in honesty, he probably doesn't have to? Uh, it, it makes me happy. It, it makes me kind of, it makes me feel supported too, um, to have that like input and to know that, you know, he cares even like you say, like he wouldn't necessarily have to now because, you know, I'm grown up and I'm not even living at home anymore and all that. Um, I think it, yes, it makes me feel like he's part, he's still like part of my diabetes management team. Yeah. No, it seems sweet to me. I mean, it, it really does. I mean, you're still a young mom, so yes. that whole like, trust me, right now you're. Uh, listen, I don't know your life, but this beginning of it is a lot of just like keeping up. It's a lot of functional stuff, right? Like mm. feeding baby, cleaning baby, moving baby from yes. this space to this space. Like when you get to the point where you sit back and you start to a kind of I don't know, like appreciate the bigger picture stuff. Like one day, I think you you you'll you'll re, you'll think back on this and probably make you cry so it almost made me mm. cry when he told me that he paid attention to it and i was like oh that's really <laughs> nice um do you it think is. do you think um do they they don't do they follow you do they know your blood sugars not so much no. i mean we don't really talk about it anymore i mean they know i have a good control they know i've always been like meticulous about my uh, diabetes and they're happy about it i think we're now we talk more about like the outcomes yeah and we talk about the blood sugars as in like things are going well i don't have any complications and they're always grateful for that um but no they're not like asking for (laughs) blood sugars and stuff and i don't i kind of have stopped sharing it i guess yeah i think now i share that more like with my husband because he experiences it like on a day-to-day basis so it makes more sense to share that with him so one last question, and I'm going to get off your parents. Um, sure. <laughs> that was a weird phrasing. <laughs> but anyway, um, <laughs> do they have any autoimmune issues? Um, no, they don't, actually. No, okay. it's, uh, I'm the only one in the family. No so. kidding. All right. Um, how much is your husband involved? Like, do you, how, what do I want to know? How long have you been together? Uh, so we've been, to, well, we've known each other for, almost 10 years we've been married for five okay six and and is he like an active participant or just a person who's just aware tangentially of what's um, happening he's he has an active part um has had like all along i think it's been like it's been he's been uh, more involved like uh, actively before we had our daughter and it's really nothing against him it's really just because of you know the the amount of things that we have to do. Um, but he's been involved a lot. I, I would say he's a, in a, an emotional support overall, okay. uh, like above everything else. And as far as the management, he's really done a lot to also get informed and also understand. Um, he played a major part as far as 
diabetes management, like in in the end of my pregnancy and during uh, labor and delivery, because that's kind of a time where I zone out. Um, and one of the requirements of like uh, being able to give birth naturally uh, or with my pump without like being on the uh, insulin drip was that I would have someone that was able to take over for me. And so then he really learned how the whole system worked and all, especially because I switched like to the tandem pump during my pregnancy, which is not a great thing to do. Mm. <laughs> um, but I still did it so that I could have like the basal like you and all that. And he learned like the switch and he, he got familiar with it so that he knew like what changes to make and insulin corrections and all that. And I really appreciated it because it, it helped me to have like the the dynamic that I wanted at birth. Right. And that is really why you wanted to come on the podcast too, right? Is to talk about your pregnancy. Yes. Well, I think it's a major, like obviously a major event and I'm happy to talk about like all my journey because it's really a, I think it's a special journey in, in and of itself. And, but I do think it was kind of a major breakthrough and a major event also through my pregnancy and birth. The first sponsor we're going to hear from today is InPen from Medtronic Diabetes. Now, the InPen is an insulin pen, but it does much more than just that. Head over to InPenToday.com to find out. Actually, you can head over to InPenToday.com right now and follow along with what I'm saying. When you get there, the first thing you're going to think to yourself is, ooh, what a lovely shade of blue. And then you'll scroll and scroll, and you'll see that the impen attaches itself, oh, with Bluetooth, to an app on your phone. Goodness gracious, that is correct, an app on your phone that talks to your insulin pen. This, um, this is good news, and here's why. That app is going to offer you a dosing calculator, dosing reminders, carb counting support, and a digital logbook. Furthermore, you'll be able to see your current glucose. Glucose? Why did I do that? Your current glucose on your app your meal history, dosing history, activity log, generate reports for your doctors and for yourself. You'll be able to see your glucose history, active insulin remaining, and it's all in an attractive application that is easy to read and easy to understand. And the pen itself is exactly what you would expect. Now here's something interesting. This offer is only available to people with commercial insurance and terms and conditions apply, but you may pay as little as $35 for the InPen. Why is that? Because InPen from Medtronic Diabetes does not want cost to be a roadblock to you getting the therapy that you need. So head over to InPenToday.com and find out if you're one of those people who can get the InPen for just $35. InPen requires a prescription and settings from your healthcare provider. You must use proper settings and follow the instructions as directed or you could experience high or low glucose levels. For more safety information, visit InPenToday.com. Now I'd like to tell you a little bit about the Dexcom G6 Continuous Glucose Monitor. Dexcom.com forward slash juice box. You can make knowledge your superpower with the Dexcom G6 CGM system. That's right, the Dexcom G6 can help you make better diabetes treatment and diabetes management decisions. All of this with zero finger sticks and no calibrations. 
The Dexcom G6 lets you see your glucose numbers with just a quick glance at your smart device or your receiver. Get alerted when your glucose levels are heading high or low and share your data with up to 10 followers. And best of all, the Dexcom G6 is covered by most insurance plans. Now, if your glucose alerts and readings from the G6 do not match symptoms or expectations, you just use your blood glucose meter to make those diabetes treatment decisions. Here's some of the highlights of the Dexcom G6. Of course, seeing your glucose readings right on your smart device. Always know your number with just a quick glance, and you'll be able to see your trend lines. These are very, very helpful for understanding where you're at, where you've been, and how you got there. In the end, in my opinion, the Dexcom does this, and it does it well. It shows you your blood glucose currently. It shows you what direction your glucose is moving in, if it's moving, and how fast it's moving in that direction. Speed, direction, and number. These are the things that we use to make decisions for Arden every day, and I think you'll really like them. Head to Dexcom.com forward slash juice and get started today. Links in the show notes and links at juiceboxpodcast.com to Dexcom, Impen, and all the sponsors. Just the way you answered the questionnaire to be on the podcast, I thought this is a person who planned her pregnancy really well, thought about it a lot <laughs> ahead of time. Um, this was not like you didn't wake up on a Saturday morning and go, hey, you know, I think we should get a pregnancy test. <laughs> like you, you, you really, were thinking no. about this for a while, right? So, so yes. did you want to be a mom for a long time? Yes. So I I really wanted to be a mom and we wanted to be like parents. Like I think, well, we talked about it way before we even got married and it was really um, something that we wanted and we we did plan about it. We did talk like uh, we we mentioned earlier about how um, that might play out with me having diabetes. And one of the goals was kind of to have the children earlier than later. um, Also to you know, to not add to more complications possible uh, by waiting longer. Uh, but we also, I was also studying and I was uh, in university, so we wanted to, uh, for me to be able to finish uh, my bachelor's before to have a child, um, just uh, so that things would be organized and in process. And um, so that was one of our goals. And then, yes, we, we talked about it a lot about just um, how it would look and but we definitely wanted it to be a part of our uh, of our little family to have children as well. This is interesting. So you're like a super mature person, aren't you? <laughs> I don't know. I, I, mean, I don't know about know. that. But no. I do like to be organized. But I mean, your whole life. Like, do you have other brothers and sisters? I have one sister. Okay. If we made one of you the super, like, responsible one and the other one lesser, you'd be the responsible one. I mean, of the two, yes, I am uh-huh. probably the most responsible. I wouldn't want my sister to hear that. But no. <laughs> I mean, we kind of have both uh, very, I think we just grew up being really responsible and like learning responsibilities early on. Um, but I have developed, I think this, uh, and I think diabetes has contributed to my being very, uh, very disciplined and very organized. If I yeah. spoke to your sister, would she call you like type A and uptight? Or would she just say you're responsible? I don't know. I I, I mean, I <laughs> I think I'd be more of the just responsible one. Okay. 
right. <laughs> it's fine. No, I'm not saying you are. I'm just trying to get to the bottom of it. So um, because and the reason that that made me think about that mm-hmm. is because you're with this guy who obviously, you know, you're going to be married to while you're in school, while you're in school, you have this feeling. And so you're younger there and you're already mm-hmm. thinking ahead like I want to have a baby before my body has any chance to, if it's going to break down in some way before it does. And and like, it actually feels to me like you thought I'm going to put my body under this stress while it's young enough to bounce back from it better. Like those are all thoughts you had, right? Pretty much. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm getting to know you here. All right. I, all right. I see what's going on here because <laughs> I don't know. That just seems like a lot of foresight. I, I do like to plan ahead, and I think I, I wanted to put, like, the, the best chances, and that's really, like, a French thing that I'm going to translate because I can't remember how to say it in English. Wait, but wait, say it again um, in French? Like it's, what's that? Say it again in French. Oh, <laughs> make up. Um, now it escaped my mind. But, like, mettre les chances de mon côté. Like, to plan, um, yeah, to put, like, all the best um uh, or all the best chances on your side. Okay. Um, so why wait and like till until you have complications or more difficulties and you know, then when you can, you know, you're healthy in the prime of life and that you can and you can uh, you well, can give the best chance to you and to your child as well. Yeah. I mean so, listen, you know, I love the way you're thinking. I'm just amazed that you were thinking that way while you were still in school. Yes. <laughs> I understand. When the other kids went to a party, did you just look at them and think, heathens? Like, is that? (laughs) (laughs) No, I I don't try to judge others, but I do. I I made my own choices, and I think I was, uh, like, I was already married while I was in school, too. So it just didn't, I had other priorities, and that's kind of what I would always say. And I I did not party. (laughs) Wow. You were married when you were in, in university? Yes, yes. Oh. You're so interesting. Okay. I also, um, can I tell you something? Let me just be honest. That I hate about your yeah. generation. <laughs> What's that? I'm going to say, you, you won't make fun of anybody. Like, not even like oh. in a tertiary <laughs> way. Like, I'm like, did you, like, I'm clearly making a joke. Like, oh, those people went to a party. You were like, oh, heathens. You're like, well, I wouldn't want to say that about them. <laughs> I, like, I really wish you would have had the opportunity to grow up when I was, did. Because people would have, like... <laughs> talk people for no reason whatsoever it was a ton of fun and it just doesn't exist in the world anymore no anymore we can't do that anymore it's just not part of like how we're trained i know we're allowed to function just trying to tell you it's fun so uh don't worry i can't do it either you guys drug me right into your into your into your apocalypse or whatever this is that's happening right now Uh, so um okay so you are way planned ahead and we're gonna just obviously assume that this part of your your nature took over when you were planning for so what is the like for diabetes and pregnancy what's the what's the first thing you feel like you have to conquer when you realize you're going to get pregnant ah uh, the first thing i think uh, is just re- like understanding like what part diabetes is going to play in my pregnancy like throughout my pregnancy mm-hmm. you know like it's the kind of thing where it's like oh i'm super excited I, I, i'm pregnant and the next thing is okay so what is this going to look like you know it's so it's a little different i think than you know being pregnant when you don't have a health condition or you don't maybe have specifically diabetes where you're just like overexcited of being pregnant period i think i was super overexcited and my husband as well um but at the same time we were kind of like oh 
So what does this mean? You know, and then we started, yeah. we went back to the planning process of like how it would look. And I mean, it, it was to the point, like, because I didn't want it to be overwhelming, like even before I got pregnant, like when we started talking about, okay, this, you know, this could be a good time and all that. And I mean, we were really open to whatever would happen, but I started, I had already started talking with like my endocrinologist because I knew that uh, based on like my readings and all that, that it would be best you know, you kind of have to have a, a good A1C level before getting pregnant and uh, so that you have the best opportunities or the best chances. And so I would I had already started to have that discussion to make sure like we were already in the green light before um, actually okay. like concretizing our plan. So prior to you thinking about like concretely saying we're going to start i by the way i i i feel like your conception was super boring but that's we'll get to that later (laughs) it was not i I mean it was just that now we're talking about this part of the diabetes part but it does you know it it kind of it it kind of is a major part of our life you know to whether we want it or not and i mean sometimes it is frustrating but unfortunately or fortunately i don't know um it is a major part of like everything of every decision no, no, so, I think it's very important. That's why I'm happy to dig to dig through it. I just mm-hmm. imagine that you rang a bell. You, you took your temperature and you're like, ring, it's time, get over here. <laughs> um, but I know that's not really what happened. I, I so It does sound like that, but <laughs> hopefully it was not like that. <laughs> Maybe you should ask him. Maybe you'd be like, yeah, I did feel like I was punching a time clock that day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm here to work. Uh, but, but seriously, I, what I want to know is, what was your A1C prior to when you thought we're going to have a baby? Uh, so I, I don't have the exact number because that's the thing. I, I like I, I was already pretty much what my doctor said was that I was already in the green light. So okay. I didn't have to do like any work. But I was a, like I was always around the six. Okay. Um, uh, so I, I think I was like around 6.4 mm-hmm. uh, roughly at the beginning of uh, or before I, I got pregnant. Was that on control IQ or no basal IQ? Neither, neither. Neither at that, at that point. That was, That's the Medtronic um, still. Yes. Okay. All right. When do you go on the basal IQ then? Uh, I actually went on basal IQ like um, when I was five or six months pregnant. Miriam, you're a baller. You just <laughs> most people would not switch their pump in the middle of their pregnancy. Well, it's not recommended. I mean, I'm not making a statement like for doctors, uh, but. <laughs> I th- uh, one of my issues was that so I always want to be like in range right uh, I've always tried my best to do that and then when I got pregnant it it was more challenging obviously because there are all the hormones and especially like as you pro- uh, progress like through the second and third trimester it gets more and more uh, your body fights against you that's yeah. pretty much what I'm gonna say your hormones really um, and so it's harder to uh, like your sensibility your sensitivity to insulin is really reduced and so that made it hard for me because I really didn't want to be high like I didn't want to have high blood sugars a lot of the time mm-hmm. which meant I was always like giving ins- a lot of insulin and all that but the downside was that I was also going into uh, low blood sugars and so as doctors are always concerned about low blood sugars more than high, uh, my doctor was really concerned about that. And so then she kind of recommended that as well, as far as like <clears throat> maybe that'll help you 
like lower your level of low blood sugars, which yeah. was. I want to make sure we didn't have a misunderstanding through language, but when I called you a baller, like I think it's amazing you changed a pump during the pre- I wasn't judging yes, you. Yes, yes, I understood that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, because you right away were like, you went back to like, no, you know, nothing here on the juice box podcast should be considered advice. And I was like, no, no, no. Like I, I thought that was amazing. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That you were just like, I'm going to change my pump now. I don't care if I'm pregnant or not. I'll figure this out. Like you're not scared of diabetes yeah. at all, right? No, not at all. And yeah. that, like, I, I meant that in the sense of like the doctors like usually say like, don't do that. Yeah. Um, but I, I was kind of like, Hey, that's an opportunity. Like it's, t- if it's time to do it, there's no better time than now to do it. And even if I'm pregnant, because it was going to help me, um, do even better, like during pregnancy. And so, because I think it, it had, it just came out. Like it, it was just out in Canada. And I was like, Oh, I'm getting my hands on that. <laughs> yeah, No, I like you. you you're full mm-hmm. of energy. Um, so, okay. So you were <laughs> around a six or so prior. Did yes. you, did you feel any pressure to make it lower before you got pregnant or they, everybody was no. happy? Okay. Everybody was happy. So I was just like, let's like, it, it's fine. I, I, I didn't make more efforts to lower it. Down. Okay. And then all of all the things that you were concerned about, about your diabetes before getting pregnant, did any of them, most of them, some of them come true during pregnancy or did different issues pop up that you didn't expect? Um, I mean, there were, nothing really scared me. Like I wasn't that afraid. I think what came up was more of like the fear, like, well, um, not it's not necessarily their fault I mean it's their job but like the doctors and I'm not talking like specifically on my endocrinologist but I had to like I got on like a team of endocrinologists for like managing pregnancy diabetes or yeah and so I think there was a lot of uh, misconceptions and then it was a lot of generalizations too because um, they were managing like pregnancy diabetes and then I was a type 1 diabetes uh was also in that like seeing the same doctors and so there was a lot of uh challenges more in the sense of I was I I started being scared and not because of my like myself I mean I was maybe concerned and that's why I was really working hard but there was all this fear of like okay I'm gonna get um like high blood pressure or I'm gonna be bedridden and all that or I'm gonna have to be inducted which was the main thing that came back a lot was like you're not gonna be able you're not going to bring this baby to term and my answer was on what basis and that was like my answers throughout pregnancy was on what basis and there really wasn't any basis as far as like um I was doing fine like the whole pregnancy I was doing fine um but the the idea was oh we don't want like an issue to occur before we do it. So we just want to do it. Were they planning for the worst all the time? Yes. Yeah. Based on you think their expectations on from their historical knowledge of other pregnancies or just, do you think they just play from a scared position generally? Did you get any feeling for that? I think that's kind of like their working like model Mm -hmm. in the sense that it's kind of like the protocol and, you know, risk management and, you know, so they're just always preventing the worst thing from happening. Um, but I mean, it, it was a challenge for me because there was no real issue. 
and it's like I it wasn't all that different for me to manage my diabetes during pregnancy than it was before except that I just had to make changes like more often and I had to be like more on top of it but it wasn't all that different and so to me and one of the things was like right away having to be in the high-risk uh, pregnancy clinic and to me it didn't really make sense because I didn't see how I fit in with like um, individuals that had like babies with malformations and individuals that had high blood pressure and or I forget the the actual the specific terms for um, high blood pressure in pregnancy but like all these challenges and I was like okay I don't really see where I fit in um, in that and yet that was like the same mindset was was present for me um, as far as like okay we gotta manage this like we gotta be on top of this and uh, and so there wasn't a lot of freedom for just like enjoying my pregnancy which I thought was like central to being pregnant was actually enjoying the pregnancy. Yeah. Uh, preeclampsia. Yes. Is that it? High blood pressure during pregnancy, right? Yes. Um, and okay. I'm going to derail us for a second and I'm going to say something that you're going to find uncomfortable to answer, I believe, but what do you do for a living? What did you go to school for? Um, I was studying in psychology and I'm actually still studying now. Um, and I'm, I'm in my PhD now in uh, clinical psychology you're a thoughtful, intelligent person. Am I wrong or am I right? I would like to think so. I do like to, uh, you're to a, think. Your ability to like, listen, part of the way I do this is on purpose so that it seems fresh while we're having the whole conversation because it is like you and I did not speak mm -hmm. prior to this. I didn't tell you I was going to ask you some questions. You're not prepared for this at all. And that mm. usually causes people to pause and formulate their thoughts and I can feel that when I'm talking to them, but I have like, mm. I have changed direction. I've brought your parents up. I've made uncomfortable jokes about you having sex with your husband. And the second my voice stops, you have a clear, concise and thoughtful answer. Where's your IQ in the one forties? What are we talking about here? <laughs> I, I, I haven't taken the test. And you since you're asking it. a future psychologist, I'm probably not going to take it either. <laughs> uh, I think you should. <laughs> I think you'd make me feel bad about myself if I knew your idea. Oh, no. <laughs> what do you think of that? <laughs> um, are you, this is you though, right? I'm talking to you. You're not like putting something on. You're not extra focused. You didn't take like an Adderall for this or something. You're like, this is just who you are. Uh, no, I didn't do anything specific. I mean, I, I woke up this morning and I was like, let's do this. <laughs> It's very <laughs> pretty much how prepared I was. And wow. I mean, I looked up at, I was like, okay, I'll pull up my book in case he asked questions. And that was pretty much it. I am super impressed with you so far. Just so you know. Um, Thank I, you. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, is your husband aware of how smart you are? Or is he one of those smart people too? Tell me the truth. He's also very smart. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Well, listen, tell this kid I'd like it to invent a way to melt the ground in Canada so we can have vegetables more throughout the year. <laughs> I can do that. <laughs> is, is the baby's head like bigger because of how big its brain is? Are, are those vegetables bigger? <laughs> no, your baby. Does your baby have a oh, giant head to hold all the brains? Oh, I'm just she's got a big brain of her own, actually. <laughs> I'm just I think, saying. yeah, she has a pretty giant brain. <laughs> took yours and that dad's, and we squished it in there. I imagine it doesn't even fit in a regular size head. I'm literally, I mean, honestly, it's just, it's it's evident. It, it, it's very, it's just, it's so easy to talk to you because you know what you think. You know mm -hmm. how to articulate it. 
it's just, I'm having a very good time talking to you, which is probably not, I probably shouldn't break that wall while we're having the conversation, but I just want to tell you that <laughs> I'm having a great time and I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Um, Thank you. I mean, it's definitely a, a very, I'm very happy to be talking with you as well. And I'm happy to be sharing and to be having this conversation. It's really uh, a shared feeling, I think. Oh, I'm glad. Thank you. You didn't even like do the ham-fisted thing of going, oh, Scott, that's why I listen to the podcast, because you're so smart. Like, you didn't do any of that stuff. You're you're, like, you're a really thoughtful person. You don't even like, and you joke around in, a, in a, an intelligent way, even. I like you. <laughs> I'm going to uh, tell you right now. I, I'm just, that's it. I'm sorry. I'm done. I'm, I, I'm, I'm gushing over you, and I shouldn't be. You're, you're terrific. So. Um, Thank you. Absolutely. It's my pleasure to say it. You're okay. So we make the baby, right? E equals MC pregnant. And then yeah. <laughs> I'm just teasing. I'm sure it was a lovely evening. And so, uh, <laughs> or was it an evening? We made Arden in the basement on our way to trick or treating with our son. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's really weird because even with all this planning and all this, that seems so like, um, like plan and organize and like, we, we don't actually know the date that she was made. Okay. We were trying. <laughs> nor the time, nor the place. <laughs> we were trying for Arden to be um, born in the summertime. And so we mm-hmm. had like this late fall, like we were trying to get pregnant in the late fall. And my mom was at the house and we were getting ready to go trick or treating with Cole, who, I mean, honestly, um. could have, was probably like three years old. And I, my wife says to my mom, hey, can you, like, take him outside? We'll be out in a minute. And I was like, what are we doing? And she's like, come here. <laughs> I was like, okay. Anyway, it uh, was, um, we don't have There that. are very fun stories of. Uh, yeah. It was hard to get rid of that sofa. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. <laughs> such a Lots sense of memories. Such a sentimental feeling. Yeah. <laughs> of, of rushing <laughs> to make a baby before going out to trick or treat. Uh, anyway, um, baby's here. When's the first time it gets hard? When do the hormones really hit you? And your blood sugar uh, gets... The hormones as far as like diabetes or as far as like pregnancy hormones just in general? Well, no. When does the blood sugar start getting difficult? Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, well, right away, actually. <laughs> Is that how you knew you were pregnant? Because I, uh, the first trimester, I was low, low, like really low all the time mm-hmm. um it was very hard actually because i don't know it's like i i developed like a hypersensitivity to yes to insulin okay. um but not in a sense that i could like control or like i could like just say okay i'll lower everything it was kind of just like out like anytime and anywhere and like just very it was haphazard and it was very challenging to uh to know where to position myself and at the same time, I was like, okay, if it is going to get high, you know, it's going to get hard at some point. It's going to get hard, right? It's going to get. And so then I, I kind of had that. I was, I was like, okay, I can't lower too much. Um, but in the end, <laughs> I was just really sensitive at the beginning. And I, I, I just needed to lower my uh, my insulin levels. And How long did that for at last? At least the first three months. Three months. Okay. I wonder yeah. if, I wonder how that works. Like, like functionally, I wonder if it's that your sensitivity lessened or if there was a lack of something in your body that that used to exist that didn't anymore in that time. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm. like maybe your need fell, not your sensitivity heightened. Or maybe I'm wrong. Like yes. maybe it's vice versa. I have no idea. I'm just it's an interesting question. I guess either way, it doesn't matter. You combat it by lowering your 
your basil right. and your meal. Your it's meal and hard to it. know. I mean, it, yeah, I mean, it is a good argument, too, because, I mean, obviously, you know, the first trimester, you're a bit more sensitive as well. I, um, I was slightly nauseous, too. So, I mean, obviously, also the amount of food and the type of food changed as well. So there are obviously different factors involved. And mm-hmm. I... I argue it as being sensitivity, but it might be a lot of different things as well, for sure. Yeah, um, and because I, I can't actually test it. You know? Yeah, right. It doesn't. It doesn't matter in the end. In the end, you changed your insulin to meet the need. The need was less. Um, but you did think about like when you turned it down. You thought about like when's it going to come back? Mm. Yes, that was in your head. Okay. When it, are you? Was it so much less that it was like managing a different person? Like, it was it like, I guess my question is, like, if your basil was like a unit an hour, did it become 0.9 an hour? Or did it become 0.5 an hour? It was more like small changes, okay. I would say. Um, yeah, so a lot more small changes. I think the major thing that changed was probably more of like the um, insulin to carb ratio. Uh, so it was like how much insulin you get at meals. Um, but yeah, no, it didn't see, it wasn't all that bad, but it didn't seem like, managing an, an odd an odd version of myself okay because it was like unusual and it didn't it wasn't like obvious that like you usually see okay like in the evenings i'm always high so now i'm gonna like change my my uh you know basil or carb rates but then as this was more of unusual and like i couldn't really put my finger on it easily so that was a bit odd so it didn't feel like i it was something that I had never really encountered in that way. So it did seem odd at first and kind of challenging. And I think that's why it took me a while to just realize what I needed to do as change or like just realize what I was into. Mm-hmm. And then the shift comes at the second trimester. It goes the other direction. Does it go significantly in the other direction or is it more small changes like you're talking about? So in the second trimester, I'd say I was pretty much like, I felt like I was back roughly at what I was like pre-pregnancy. So I was bringing up my, my insulin levels slowly, but surely like every other week, I think, um, even every week sometimes I was, but at the beginning it was more like every other week and I was just bringing it up slowly, but surely, uh, until the third trimester and at the third trimester, that's where it started being like tougher. Like I would make more changes more often every like other day or, couple times a week um i was getting like input from like a, a diabetes specialized nurse and also a, my endocrinologist and so that kind of helped me uh, but i was also doing it by myself and figuring out like what needed to be changed or improved but it wasn't so yes yeah, so i think it was progressive so i think like the the gap between like pre-pregnancy or like beginning and end was probably bigger than I felt it but since it was like gradual it didn't feel like I didn't get like a big jump in in blood uh in insulin levels even at the end of pregnancy but I did yeah I increased pretty much all the way to well almost the end and then at the end it kind of plateaued and even lowered a bit excellent okay yeah I at the end it is did you breastfeed then yes I did yeah Okay. Did you notice your needs change during that again? Um, <clears throat> not really. I mean, yes and no. It was kind of an odd um, situation because even like right after birth, um, they expect your blood sugars to go, uh, like to, to change radically. And in my case, it didn't really. 
uh, like it didn't change radically back to pre-pregnancy mm-hmm. levels. And so I ended up being in a high blood sugar because for a while, well, like for quite a few hours, because um, they said, okay, bring back everything down, like put it back to like pre- pre-pregnancy levels. When in reality, that wasn't what I needed. And that's yeah. what I felt. I felt like, okay, I'm just high, like just leave my blood sugar, like just leave my controls like, how they are and I'll just handle it like later on when I get low. But um, yeah, so I, I it, it was progressive. It was progressive. It progressively went back down. Um, but not, again, it didn't drop right after giving birth. Right. And I think that's, there's a lot of hormones involved in all that. So yeah, no, it makes it me, fe- it makes me feel like yeah, sure, there's a way we expect this to go, but you still have to stay flexible and make decisions oh, yeah. based on what's actually happening. It's oh, not yeah. it's not just gonna follow like a you know, a rule book necessarily. No, absolutely not. And that's what kind of frustrates me with like protocols and I, I, I know there's a reason for them and I know there's a use for them. Um, but it kind of is what frustrates me because like I wasn't told I think once um like I don't remember consciously being told once that like during like the like after birth your blood sugars might stay up it was just like always okay be careful that they're gonna go down it's gonna go down Uh, even like during the birth process because in the birth process the opposite they're like during labor and delivery your blood sugars are gonna go up for sure you know but then you're like uh, I'm sorry, they're going to go down again. Um, they're going to go down. And that's like the argument, but there's like just one-sided and you might get either one. And I got opposites on both ends because yeah. I got high blood sugars during pregnancy and high blood sugars after pregnancy and like after birth rather. And it it, it wasn't like um, in the book. It wasn't textbook. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. wasn't a textbook case. How about, how about the days after? Like did breastfeeding make you low? It did a bit. It was hard to like to know because you know there's like all the sleep deprivation involved and all that. So that uh, that was that was another story. Managing diabetes right after birth is not any easier. It's worse than during pregnancy, actually. <laughs> at least for me, it was um, because then there's all the like the sleep and there's like the waking up at weird hours and then you're hungry but you don't know what time it is and all that. Um, but yes, yeah, sometimes when I was breastfeeding the first few days, I would get low. Mm-hmm. or right after um but it's like quickly like in the few weeks that went after i didn't notice it anymore it wasn't like major uh, drops like you figured so it out wasn't yeah like i don't know i mean it it didn't seem like it affected me that much okay but i kind of adjusted and tried to be careful if it if it wanted to go in that direction you know like just recently in an episode jenny described her diabetes as like getting a newborn baby like having mm. a newborn baby to take care of. So now it's almost like getting diabetes twice or two babies, however yes. you want to look at it. That's exactly how I felt actually yeah. after birth. I felt like I had two babies to take care of because my diabetes was out of whack. And then I had a baby that had no idea how this world functioned. And so now I was trying to help both. Yeah, no <laughs> It's crazy because now even my daughter now sleeps full nights. But sometimes I still get woken up like three, four times a night because of my diabetes. And I'm like, just let me go to sleep. You should teach Both di- my baby and my diabetes. <laughs> you should teach the diabetes to sleep through the night too. Can you ferberize it? 
Is that a word? <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's what it means. <laughs> it's like you're off duty. You're just off duty at night. Well, what, that that old book from the '60s, they would tell you to let it cry, right? And then there's the now there's ferberize. I think that's ferberizing, <laughs> right? And there's some people who sleep with their with their babies and keep the mm. keep the baby next to the bed and like a little thing. And what, how yes. did how did you um? I mean, this is how how did you do that? How did you get your baby to sleep through the night? What's the process you used? Uh, it, well, the process was gradual. So we had her like in the room, but in her own bed, like the first six-ish months, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, because like she would wake up like every three, four hours at night. Uh, and it's, uh, it was just, it made more sense, but it was also like the recommendations that we had had from our uh, from a few like professionals that okay keep her in the room but like don't keep her in the bed and we really made an effort to do that um, because apparently it helps also with um, the like gradually sleeping through the night yeah. and at like six seven months like we were like we were overwhelmed <laughs> we were really tired <laughs> I remember that. and so yeah no I, I know that I remember that feeling of the first time like like we put Cole to bed and he didn't wake mm. up a few hours later. And then a few hours later, he didn't wake up and you were like, Oh my God, oh, is yeah. he going to stay asleep? This is amazing. <laughs> yeah. And then you can't sleep for the whole night because you're worried about the fact that they're asleep. Yeah. Uh, but then once you give over to it, you're like, oh, you're so exhausted by the time it, yeah. it's usually like that first six months and you're just so exhausted by the time mm. it's over. Yeah. I don't, it's uh, it's crazy. It really is. And, and I didn't have to raise a baby, uh, you know, the first time with diabetes, the second time Arden mm. was two. And um, so I did get to, I mean, in fairness to me, I got to sleep for a couple of years. <laughs> uh, well, there's that. You know, when we're adults, we, uh, we ration our sleep a bit more. <laughs> I'm, um, I, I don't know for everybody else, but I can walk through my house in the pitch black dark. Like I don't need... Like I don't need light. Oh. I, I know where I'm at. Like I know how to. I, I don't. Does anybody else like do that thing where you kind of like bring your forearm up a little bit to like touch the wall corners and like there's one yeah. one Avoid door in your head or something. Yeah, there's <laughs> one door in the hallway nobody ever closes. I'm always completely aware of that. I reach out with my hand as I approach it to make sure I'm not going to walk into mm. it. And um, yeah, I use the smoke detector lights as as like mile markers and. <laughs> <laughs> mm. yep. Yeah. Yeah. They're the little night lights. Uh, yeah. Night lights. I, I wish that wasn't something I knew how to do, by the way. <laughs> I wish I just <laughs> I would just go to sleep and never wake up. Uh Arden needed insulin this morning at five thirty in the morning. Oh. And I that's was just, no fun. I was like her blood sugar just kinda popped up out of nowhere and I was like, uh and then you had that thought in your head like, Oh, you know, she'll be awake soon. <laughs> she'll she'll bowl yep. us. And I was like, No, nah, I'm gonna do it now. So um anyway. Yeah, it'll, it'll, uh, I don't know. I was going to say it'll get better, but it probably won't. <laughs> Do you think you're going to get more, they'll get more independent, you know, as they grow up. It's yeah. kind of, well, so I ba- mean, my parents don't remember all the pain that they went through. I try to ask them sometimes and they don't remember. They're like, oh, it was fine. We just took it a day at a time. I'm like, oh yeah, are you sure? <laughs> it feels like it would have been a bit you know, rough at some point, but you know, you all forget that at some point, apparently. <laughs> does it make you, does it make you feel good that they don't remember or are you looking for somebody to commiserate with? I, I think it's better that they don't remember because I feel like it probably was hard. I mean, and I, a little part of me would like to know like how bad it was but at the same time I'm like you know if they still remember now it's it would be like really really bad yeah, so they probably focus on the good moments which is a good thing 
Yeah. So I'm happy about that. Yeah, that's lovely. All right. So now based on the rest of your conversation, do you already have your second and third child planned out or are you just having one? What's the deal? <laughs> no. Well, no, not yet. Um, you said, so well, now no. I'm like, hold on. <laughs> Don't lie to me. Is it just something you haven't told your husband yet? <laughs> Oh, no, nothing like that. It's okay. just because I'm back in, like, I'm in my PhD now. So I'm trying to get ahead a little bit before um, before we have another child and yeah. go through this whole process again. Because that's the thing, too. I'd like to have more time, uh, which was one thing I did have with my first pregnancy of, uh, like, during pregnancy, I wasn't all that busy. And so I had a lot of time to, like, exercise and to handle all the appointments and all that and so it, i had a lot more freedom um i didn't and so i'd like to have a bit of a structure like that as well where I'd, i'm not like in you know in school like five days a week and yeah. then handling a child that's already there and also a pregnancy i think that would be a are you hoping to go into practice or are you going to teach what's your idea for after my goal is to go into practice once i finish yeah well, there's all those people who have PTSD about like polar bear attacks and stuff like that. You have to help, right? <laughs> don't laugh. That has uh, to happen. What about I'm not sure about polar bears. Beavers? I don't think we have any around here. Beavers? <laughs> what about a beaver? No. Mm, beavers don't attack as far as I'm concerned. I've seen some. <laughs> I, I, I'm strongly, strongly, strongly thinking about calling this episode Beavers Don't Attack. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta be careful while you're talking on the podcast <laughs> i mean that would be a very canadian uh, canadian title so um <laughs> you just said that and i was like "Ooh, that's what i'm gonna call this episode <laughs> uh, is there i know you like is there anything about the process that we didn't speak about that you wanted to uh, i i well, the only thing I can think of is really about, like, just the fact that, you know, even with all the pressure of, like, the hospital or, like, the staff and all that, like, I was still able to, to make it, a like, a natural uh, labor and delivery process, mm -hmm. and I didn't have to be, like, induced or have the insulin drip and all that, and I think it's a message that doesn't get out all that much. Um, like even when I was pregnant, it was really, really, really hard to find any like good stories. I don't know uh, if you've been able to find any, but like personally, I have not. Um, or just like one from like 20 years ago, like one person who was able to, that had type 1 diabetes and was able to give birth the way they wanted, so in like, in that, which was naturally and, and all that. And I think that's also what really encouraged me of just being able to accomplish that. It was yeah. like a major, major accomplishment. And I was kind of like, look, it's possible. And that's what I was also like telling the medical staff and all that. Like, stop saying that there's only one way to do this and that there's only like one outcome possible. It's like there's, it's possible to have a healthy pregnancy. It's possible to have a healthy labor and delivery process, um, even with diabetes and maybe even because of diabetes, because you you end up being so much more careful about what you eat, what you exercise, like how you exercise and what you do and how, you know, you try to reduce your stress and all that. And I, I think even like healthy moms maybe don't spend all that time um, to think about every little action in their pregnancy. And so um, I think it's 
even like a benefit to have ultimately um, diabetes if you want to like see the silver lining in a very difficult situation because it helps you to be very uh, very focused yeah i understand um I, I like how important it is to you for people to hear a good story too and i've heard a number of stories that are that are positive um mm. and, and it is definitely doable it's a lot of work obviously um mm. how was the baby's birth weight was it like a normal birth weight uh yeah she she was um six three six wow. pounds three ounces um she was born at 30 weeks so oh wow she didn't put yeah. on the fat yet it's like a little baby making machine over there you just, yeah, <laughs> just did a really nice job uh did it feel like an accomplishment when it was over did you, th- did you feel like wow this was a lot of effort and i did it or did you not even have time to feel that way uh no i i really felt it uh i was very very um yeah, I felt really accomplished, very proud of the whole process when it was all said and done. Um, like even in the hospital, because it, it was just, it was so unique. And it, even just the whole process was very unique compared to even regular um, like labor and delivery processes. Like even the doctor was just like, I've never seen this before. Like what happened? And even the nurse like was going off shift and because they were switching before I was getting weird and she's like, I'm staying here. I want to see this baby come in this world. And so I think that it kind of was the fulfillment of like all the effort and all the work that was that I put into it. I mean, I would have liked it to be more enjoyable in the sense that um, to not feel all this pressure or all this fear during pregnancy. And um, that's probably the only thing that I, well, one of the things that I would definitely wish could change. Um, but even with that, it's still... Well, how how could how could that change? Would the, should the doctors just be, prepare themselves, but not worry out loud so much? Like, I mean, you want to be informed, right? But you don't you don't want somebody to like I don't know what I'm like. You don't want somebody to rain on your parade. You just want to understand yeah. what could happen and then have somebody tell you. But we're gonna act like that's not gonna happen right now. Like, is that mm. the? I don't know. Like, I'm not sure. Well, you know, like I think it's. Maybe just, well, one of the things that we noticed during pregnancy was just if doctors took more time to, like, get to know the contacts and get to know the couple, um, it would make a big difference. And that's at least that's what we experienced, like, and we had to do it kind of intentionally, well, very intentionally, actually, not just kind of, but, like, um, because we were in, the, like, the, the high-risk clinic, a pregnancy clinic, and the gynecologist that would see us would come for like five seconds, you know, and look at the scans that the technician had done and say, okay, look, everything's good. Okay, now take this pill, you know, because you're diabetic and uh, you have to take that. You should already have started. And, you know, it was just kind of like this really quick and very protocol, uh, very clear, um, very direct, like, type of interaction. And then when we were like, okay, this is not going to work. Like, we really need... uh, them to understand like our perspective and what we want and so then we had uh we asked the gynecologist like come back and to actually have a discussion with her of how we wanted our pregnancy and how maybe my situation was not uh, typical because i was exercising daily and like my numbers were perfect and you know all of that and so when we gave her like the whole picture she was like oh like okay like she realized like we're not 
like we've planned this kind of like you've seen you know yeah. and we kind of gave her this picture of like the context of like who we are and like this is not like haphazard it's not like a baby we made on the corner of the street like it's something that was planned and organized and and like all of life was around that too how many and babies so- do you think are made on the street corners <laughs> I hope not any. (laughs) But, uh, you know, when we had that conversation afterwards, she respected our decision and she respected. And even at the end, like when we were at 37 weeks um, and she was like, okay, we'll make like a more in-depth scan, not scan there, but um, I forget the word now. It's been too long since I've given birth now. (laughs) But, um, you know, she they looked more in detail and she made sure everything was okay. And she's like, okay, everything's okay. Now, if you were any other woman, I would, I would book an induction now, uh, like in the next few days, but I know like you had expressed your decision. And so now like, what, um, are you still following that decision now? Or are you, are you ready to change? And I was like, no, like, this is our decision. We're still keeping it. There's no indication, no reason for it to change. Uh, and so she was like, okay, well, I respect your decision. You know, and it was really like, do you think that's kind of the involvement that I think they could have? Yeah. If it sounds to me like your experience was that physicians took all of the bad experiences they've had in the past and applied it to you before they even mm. knew who you were. Like, mm. like maybe everyone doesn't do the exercise and everyone doesn't eat well and everyone doesn't keep mm. their a1c in check and stay on top of their insulin but you were going to and they just yes. didn't know that about you so they planned for what they see most frequently they just mm. did but they don't know you well enough you think to adjust the like you know what i mean like they don't spend enough time with you because i listen yes. i don't want to take credit here but i talked to you for about 20 minutes and i was like this lady's really smart and and well thought out mm-hmm. and, and considerate and like I don't know how your doctor couldn't figure that out about you faster. You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah. But they just don't have the time. I think they don't have or they don't take the time. I don't know. I'm not like blaming them for their no, intentions. No. Yeah. But I think it's just oh, it's just another woman with another baby and it's just like let's She's get got diabetes out. and this is gonna be a problem and here's what the problems mm-hmm. are gonna be and well, this is how we take care of the problems and blah 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 blah. Instead of seeing that maybe it doesn't have to be like that all the time. I wonder what that mm-hmm. experience with you, I would I would hope and wonder if if the, the experience your physicians had with you would make them rethink how they talk to other people. Because I think that when you plan mm-hmm. for failure, you kind of preordain it a little bit too. Mm-hmm. Like you give people permission to fail when you tell them they're going to. That makes sense. Yeah, it's kind of the self fulfilling prophecy, you know, and you kind of ex- you're you're plan you're kind of planning for failure. It's yeah. pretty much what ends up happening. You're planning for when the failure will occur and not if. And I think the the difference is huge, but uh, it's not so clear. Like once you're in a high risk clinic and all that, it seems like the if becomes the when, and it's just always planning for. Okay, we got to make sure nothing happens and. And it, it's unfortunate because it, it creates this. It's kind of like um, everybody's in the same mold and everybody's just the same, um, the same, like a cookie cutter. And uh, the challenge too is, and that's it kind of brings me back to when you were asking, like, are we in the 1978s or in the 1970s? And I mean, the challenge too is that even like, like doctors read science, like literature, scientific literature and all that. And even the scientific literature now has 
articles that talk about um, like comparing induction versus no induction for individuals with diabetes and different things like that. And ultimately, you know, the, the results show more and more that it's not really all that necessary. I mean, there are situations that it is, and it's a procedure that's necessary in, in even for individuals who don't have diabetes in certain circumstances it's necessary. But generally, um, even with individuals with diabetes, it's not like the decision by default. Mm-hmm. And yet, like in the, in the practice, it's like doctors are not so comfortable with that nuance or they're not necessarily offering that nuance. And it's much more um, the protocol like this, whatever has been done continues to be done now, even if technology has changed, you know, just, I mean, research is not all that developed with insulin pumps because it's still fairly new, but nonetheless, like a lot of research now show, a start, you know, is starting to be produced with uh, different insulin pumps and like Dexcom and all these uh, continuous glucose monitoring systems. And these, these things too make a huge difference, even in pregnancy, you know, just being able to see your blood sugars like 24 seven all the time. And then having some of the pumps that connect, you know, and adjust blood sugar, uh, insulin with that. I mean, that has nothing to do with how we were handling diabetes five, ten years ago. Yeah, uh, and, and so world. it should make a difference, and it does make a difference. But it's not like it takes the time for the industry to catch up. The, the doctors, yes, being it really the industry. does. Yeah, and it should be a to me, it should be a an indicator to the pump companies, everybody making an algorithm that you have to. You have to keep innovating these algorithms to allow for tighter and tighter control um, mm. because people are going to want to wear them when they're pregnant too. And yeah. you know what I mean? You need to, you need to be able to give people uh, more, more access to their target ranges. Uh, yes. Because that's the thing with the control IQ, for example, now it's still, <clears throat> it's higher. The range is higher than what you would want in pregnancy um, specifically, but it's still just, already makes a difference and i you know i think even um, in uh, companies that make insulin pumps could also even do research like that in, uh, involves specifically pregnant women and i know it probably wouldn't make like as much of a difference for them but it could be really interesting for um, the scientific world and the community to be able to have that information as well and not have to only do like independent studies mm-hmm. um, because a lot of times like they'll exclude like pregnant like don't use that during pregnancy or don't use that and you're like okay but it's just because it's it, they weren't included in the sample it doesn't necessarily mean that it's dangerous yeah right or that it shouldn't be done yep. and so i think if they would make research or studies just for these individuals that could help as well to uh, to support like the the advancements and the use also of these insulin pumps yeah. and technologies that really make a difference. It would also help if the doctors just you know, um, what's what I want to say, got the stick out of their butt and um, and just realized that they can use it off label well and don't be don't hide behind the fact that it's not. You know what I mean? Doctors can give mm-hmm. you a pump off label. They can they can do anything they want off label. To be perfectly honest, they could you know there are people who uh, get metformin for weight loss that has nothing to do with diabetes, for example. Like that's an mm. off-label use of a medication. Doctors can use their um, their expertise to make decisions like that instead of just hiding mm. behind the label and going, oh, it's not for you, so I can't do it. And 
it's a little lazy, right. but I know you're, you're too nice to say anything mean about anybody um, because you're Canadian and you're from this generation. So you have no ability to say anything terrible. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I know that like there's definitely a need for progress and there's definitely a need, you know, for, yeah, going, uh, you know, doing more than what, like the minimum requirements of the job. And I think uh, it's a challenge for the medical field. And the only, like, I think one of the only ways for them to gain like confidence in doing that is also for like spending enough time with the individuals and getting to know uh, but also getting to know like the technologies that are available and all that, so that when you're like, I'm an insulin pump, they don't look at you like, oh, what's that? Man. You know, <laughs> no, there's no. that too. I agree. Of also being up to date, especially if you're working with, you know, pregnancy population, it might happen more and more. I mean, there are a lot more uh, type one diabetes individuals nowadays, and mm-hmm. a lot more that want to be pregnant and that have children and. So that kind of becomes like you kind of have to inform yourself on that as well so that you're um, you're up to date on what works and what doesn't and what are the legitimate fears and not just the literature fears, yep. you know? Yeah, I agree. Because like one of the big arguments and uh, is also like the size of the baby. So usually like because you get a lot of insulin resistance at the end of the pregnancy, um, there's a danger also for babies to become really big. Um so also their reason for like a need for like C-section or whatnot. Uh, but that's related to like your A1C level. But um, even like the studies that they use, well, they're looking at like A1Cs that are different from like the general population. But if you're like using a system like Dexcom or whatnot, or using like basal IQ and all these different technologies or even just an insulin pump, you have so much more control that your A1C can stay fine during pregnancy. Like my A1C was, even at the end, was like at five. So there's, when you see that and then you look at, okay, so the danger of getting a a big baby is not really in the books anymore because, well, you're handling, like your A1C is like someone, a non-diabetic. And so there's, you know, it's putting things in perspective and not just going, okay, well, your risk is higher of getting a bigger baby like okay but like compared to what right Right. yeah compared to the past when people didn't have these pumps and the fast acting Mm -hmm. insulin and the cgms and the knowledge and all that stuff and stop treating 2021 like it's 1975 that's all it's not that hard Jeez. all right hey i have a question um (laughs) i'll let you go then because you have to get back to your life doing whatever it is you do and uh i'm assuming it's 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 taking care of that baby and writing papers but that's neither here nor there. Um, <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, I'm off right now. I, I, I just got on holiday, so I'm not writing a paper this holiday season. <laughs> my, my son just wrote his last one the other day, and he seemed pretty thrilled. Um, oh. Yeah. I, so uh, the podcast. Like, why are you on the podcast? Do you listen to it? I did find it, and I specifically found it during uh, the end of my pregnancy. I was really looking, like I was saying, like for support and stories and encouragement, and that was pretty much what brought me. Um, I really enjoy the podcast app on my phone, uh, and so I I look for a lot of different uh, resources, and that's how I found your podcast, and I thought it was a really, really nice uh, endeavor. Thank you. Oh, that's lovely. See, that's a nice answer. I appreciate that very much. It is a nice endeavor. <laughs> More people should just refer to me as a nice endeavor. I would enjoy that. <laughs> I, It'll be your your slogan. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I love that you that you just wanted to add like a story about a a birth that went well. 
like to the mm. to to the pot of stories. So I, I really appreciate it. I just never know. I just usually it's funny. I usually just assume that people want to be on the podcast because they listen to it. But a couple of mm. times this year, people have been like, "No, nah, I don't know your podcast." I'm like, "Well, how did you like?" They're like, "I don't listen to it. I just I I have this thing, and I wanted to tell somebody, and this seemed like the place to tell it." And I was mm. like, "Oh, wow, okay." So I just I, I like to check to see what happens. Um, so that's excellent. I, I really appreciate it very much. Uh, I am done bothering you. If you are done telling me things, do you have anything else you want to talk about? <laughs> uh, well, I was just going to say, I mean, I, I encourage you to keep going with your, uh, your endeavor because I think it's a really, it's a really nice, uh, it's really nice to have that support in that air, that place where you can just talk and, um, un- hear other people's stories too. I think it's kind of hard, um, nowadays, especially to hear, like I was saying, like positive stories and all that. And I, I'm grateful for, for that. And I'm grateful for the opportunity also to have been able to share that story. Um, I am working on publishing a book about that story too um, in the near future. And I hope that we'll also be able to encourage people um, to continue in that direction and just taking charge and being able to also share their story and also have a, a story that's really meaningful to them. Will you write that book in Canadian or in English? <laughs> do you think it'll in, be in Canadian English? Do you think do you think in English or in French? It's in English. It's currently in English. No, the, uh, no. Do you think in English or in French? Oh, oh, sorry. Um, I actually think in both. Like when I speak in English, I usually think in English, and in French, I think in French. It doesn't That's, bounce back and forth, though. It depends on what you're speaking at the time. Yes. Well, it, you know, I, I I I attribute that to the fact that I learned young. Mm-hmm. Uh, I learned English young. Um, but yeah, sometimes you lose words, especially when you're bilingual or trilingual, you lose like you, the words you want to use, you only remember in like the other language. And that goes both ways. <laughs> Are your parents French? Yes. Well, my, they're both Quebecois, but, um, my dad grew up also bilingual. Is anyone from France? Uh, like my mom's family, but like from way, way, way back. Way back. Okay. But your parents were, your parents were born in Canada. Yes. yes. Yeah. Okay. That's what I was trying to figure out. Um, I, it was, it was extra nice talking to you today because I have, uh, there's this lovely woman named, uh, Isabel who's helping me with my Facebook page. She has type Mm -hmm. one and she's, uh, Canadian, um, but French. Mm. And so your accent reminds me a little bit of hers. So it made it like extra uh. nice for me today. <laughs> That's all. Well, it was a pleasure talking with you as well. I'm very grateful for the opportunity. No, I, it was my, my absolute pleasure. I, I appreciate very much that you, you took the time to do this. It's, um, a really lovely thing for you to do. I think that you're a hundred percent right. That being pregnant with type one seems very scary that mm-hmm. it can become even more so when doctors lean into the idea that this isn't going to go well. And then it mm-hmm. takes what could be a really like a wonderful memory and, a, and, you know, the beginning of you building a relationship with a child and turn it into a tumultuous affair instead of it being the thing that it, it could be and it should be. So mm-hmm. I, I really appreciate you doing this. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Right. I hope it encourages mothers out there or future parents as well that it's possible and, it's not all doom and gloom, but there are really uh, opportunities and possibilities for it to be a, a joyful and a successful op- uh, journey as well. Yeah, I agree. Okay, um, hold on one second for me, okay? Sure. 
A huge thanks to Miriam for coming on the show and sharing her story. And a big thanks to today's sponsor, InPen from Medtronic Diabetes. And Dexcom, makers of the Dexcom G6. Head to InPenToday.com to get started with the InPen. Or, and, and or, why not both, Dexcom.com forward slash juice box to get yourself one of those Dexcom G6 continuous glucose monitoring systems. I want to thank you so much for listening. I'll be back very soon with another episode of the Juice Box Podcast. It's usually about here where I tell you about the Facebook group and other stuff, but if I'm being honest, my son wants to have a catch and my daughter needs help with her college stuff, so I gotta go. Don't worry, that information's on the end of some other episodes. You should go listen to one of them.